Welcome to the Game Design Hacks. I'm Dale. And I'm Tom. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Mario Golf. For... And then we'll discuss other things. Let's tee off. Let's golf into it. <laughs> Terrible. First, we've got the news. So, Tom, have you seen the Switch OLED stuff? Uh, Only through memes on Reddit. (laughs) Yeah, it seems to have gotten people a little riled up, or maybe they're uh, just finding it funny. Um, I'm not sure. Um, What was was your read on it? Um, Again, um, Nintendo fans are obviously... Very passionate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's one way of one way of saying that. Um, but yeah, like it's it's been a while since the Nintendo sort of released any sort of hardware things for the Switch, at least as far as I can recall. Um, yeah, so yeah. you know, it's if you've already got a Switch, I don't think a lot of people are going to be rushing out to get this. But if you're you know picking it up for the first time, then you know maybe this is better option yeah it does seem a little dry too like just because nintendo's always got two bits of hardware or has traditionally kind of had two bits of hardware on the go it does always feel like it's two or three years before there's some new refresh or something like that and at this stage i mean it's only been four since the first switch but you'd hardly call this a reset uh yeah i I wonder if they've got a schedule for this sort of stuff and they're like (laughs) well the, the thing we really want to release is behind, so we've got to drop something. Yeah. Or they just feel like, oh, we haven't been in the news for a while. Let's uh, let's do something in that case. Yeah. I, I also wonder how much of this is kind of a small, like, backpedaling from, uh, you know, doing a hardware refresh due to maybe the, you know, the silicon shortage that's going on, or semiconductor, not silicon shortage, semiconductor shortage that's going on at the moment. Yeah, no, it could be. Like that seems to have been slowing down hardware in general. Yeah, that's it. They had the um, maybe they had the uh, case and the screens ready to go, and they just went, "Hey, look, we can't make enough processors right now. Let's um, let's hold the guts out for a little bit longer." Oh, we've run out of sand. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure whether that's what it is, but um, look, I mean, it looks nice. Um, yeah, the the hardware is getting on a bit at this stage. Yeah. Um. The only other thing that sort of caught my attention in the news recently was the uh, soft launch of an XCOM mobile game. Did you see this one? No, I didn't see anything about this. Yeah, it. Um, I think the reaction to it sort of got more news coverage than the actual game did. Um, like I said, it's only a soft launch, but the, uh, the sort of outrage initially was it doesn't really look like an XCOM game. It, uh, like, I mean, it's got your XCOM soldiers and you're shooting the same sort of uh, aliens. I can't remember the, the XCOM name for aliens. Um, but it's more in a kind of like the Warriors of Waterdeep style where you've basically got like party members that sort of face off against waves of enemies and it's sort of lost the tactical um, positioning aspect of XCOM, which, you know, is what people actually like about XCOM. Uh but Kotaku had released a article, and the headline was uh, "The next XCOM game is a mobile game, and it looks like shit," or something <laughs> along those lines. Um, Gotta get them clicks. Yeah, and you know that sparked a conversation about, well, you know, should you be sort of talking this way about games, and you know how much of this is sort of the uh, sort of cultural cringe around um, mobile games versus console games, and Mm. Um, like personally, I I kind of think it looks like shit as well. Um, <laughs> and you know, that's not me dismissing it out of hands because I play uh, Warriors of Waterdeep, and that that's a shit game. Um, okay, um, I don't know Warriors of Waterdeep. It's a Dungeons and Dragons game, which is why I played it. But it's a a mobile game. It's I think it's kind of similar to how Raid Shadow Legends works, where you sort of got like this party of uh characters that you're basically just grinding to you know get to the next thing and there's not a whole lot of strategy between different and 
I am being a bit hard on Warriors of Waterdeep. There's like a little bit of like a scissors paper rock strategy with different uh, character types, but it's you know it's sort of about the the barest of bones of strategy in it, and uh, you you only really progress through uh, grinding and not sort of clever strategy, but. Um, you know, the, there's a market for these games, and like I do sort of appreciate that a lot of mobile games, and you know, there's some great mobile games out there that end up getting dismissed out of hand just because they're mobile games. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do definitely see that as well. It has been quite a while since the last S- like XCOM game too, though, hasn't it? Like, was it XCOM two was five years ago or something like that? Yeah, I think there was like a sort of spin-off one okay. as well. Um, there's the yeah that was like a standalone expansion thing and then there was the uh was it the mutant chronicles which was by the same developers okay or some of the same developers or was inspired by i never played it but i heard it was like you know like a very good xcom uh scare quotes uh game even though it wasn't set in the xcom universe but yeah i think people have been looking forward to like just your, your regular bog standard, you have a squad of people moving across a 4X grid um, hmm. type XCOM game. and So, you know, like, I, I can understand the, the disappointment, but the, uh, I don't know, people on the internet don't deal with disappointment all that well. Are you kidding me? No, yeah. I, th- I think you're right. Um, that Yeah, okay, so there has been a bit, I, I like, uh, admittedly, like I haven't played any of the XCOM stuff. Um, I'm told that Mario versus Rabbids has owes a lot of its DNA to XCOM. Um, yeah, no, I, I, up, I actually think that was the first game that I played on the Switch. Um, it was yeah. a birthday present. Yeah, you know, like I mean, that's it wasn't quite as engrossing as an XCOM game because, uh, like I mean, sort of the one of the things that makes it compelling is the concept of permadeath and. If you have a game with permadeath and you kill Mario forever, um, (laughs) (laughs) that might be a hard one to uh, get past Nintendo. Yeah, the title of this episode is now just Golf. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, Mario died in the last versus Rabbids game. Rabbids win. Yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. R.M.B. Yeah, R.M.P. Um. Cool, but that's pretty much it for news stuff this week. I, I can't really think uh, of too much else that's kind of you know affecting game development and design in a heavy way. This this yeah. release, yeah, yeah, It'll those be- are things that jumped out at me. Yeah, and always, as always, uh, this will be incredibly current in a month's time when this episode comes out, and people will have heard about these things long, long ago, and we'll be like, oh, I remember then. Yeah. Or they'll have the new Switch Pros and they'll be like, oh man, these episodes are taking a long time to release. Yeah. Or the XCOP game will die in soft launch and (laughs) everyone will have forgotten about it. Yeah, like that Bethesda Commander Keen game that was meant to come out. Never heard of it. Yeah. Uh, It it (laughs) took a a moment in one of their showcases. It was a bit of a weird looking thing. That was the last sort of mobile adaption for podcast listeners. I'm using air quotes. Um... And I just think, yeah, that was maybe it was more misguided than this. Um, but then again, I haven't seen this. Yeah, and I, I have a feeling that this wasn't like really announced. It was very sort of quietly released. Um, so I wonder if that's game studios sort of like learning their lesson. And you know, if you're gonna make a mobile game based on an existing IP, uh, don't don't announce it in a place where people can loudly groan yeah yeah okay yeah so i guess i think you're right that you know people maybe look a little cynically at mobile games but then you know there are a couple of cases like this where you know there aren't really fair adaptions of a known franchise um and i mean not every every um franchise is you know like a mario where they can reasonably have the expectation that the game is going to be tied to some other style of gameplay i guess yeah, and like I mean, a tactical turn-based game like that's something that you sort of can sort of do on mobile. Like mm-hmm. you know, platforming games, uh, you know, there's sort of input problems and or design problems that you have to get around. Whereas this, like, 
like I'm pretty sure there is like mobile adaptations of XCOM one and two that are pretty damn good on mobile. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, cool. Well, I guess uh, with the news in the rear views, we're going to head into the what are we playing segment of the show. All right, Tom, what are you playing? Well, to keep this nice and current, uh, I've been playing Doodle Champions Island, which, if you've used Google in the last few weeks, uh, is the in-browser game that Google has made to celebrate the 2020 uh, Tokyo Olympics. Oh, right. Um, Admittedly, I don't use Google, so I haven't seen this. Oh, that looks cool. Yeah, it's actually pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, like it's a. Oh, the intro looks like the Link's Awakening intro. Yeah, well, the uh, all the animation in it is by Studio Four Degrees Celsius. I don't know how you're actually supposed to say it, but that's the uh, the title of the studio. But yeah, they did things like the Animatrix and a whole bunch of other things. And then I think the actual game development side was done by Google's uh, in-house studio uh with collaboration with japanese artists right yeah i i believe it's pronounced studio milk refrigeration temperature yeah well i actually uh looked it up on wikipedia and apparently that's the temperature that water is most dense <laughs> dense <laughs> studios that's an even better name <laughs> um but yeah like it's uh like i haven't played it all the way through but it's basically a jrpg where you're on a uh island sort of inspired by Japanese mythology, and there's a whole bunch of Olympic events for you to play that are sort of broken up into mini-games. And uh, all the mini-games that I've played are actually pretty good and entertaining. Uh, like, the there's a skateboarding one that I thought was especially good that uh, it's probably going to make me shell out for Tony Hawk 1 plus 2 now. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, yeah, I have been meaning to give that a go. Um, I mean, give that another go? I... Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a newer go. Yeah. Games just exist in cycles now. They just keep coming back around. You know, I'm playing Skyward Sword. We're both talking about Tony Hawk. You know, we... we yeah. Games just go in cycles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, people just like the same thing recycled over and over again. Just yeah. waiting till it's just on the edge of your memory and then they repackage it for you. Mm. Um, uh, what else have I been playing? Uh, I've been playing... Crypt of the Necrodancer. Uh, so been having a look at rhythm games at work um, mm-hmm. recently. Um, and that's quite a unique uh, design, which I'm very, very bad at. Um, yeah. Like, I, I really like roguelite games. Um, I like rhythm games, but I'm very bad at them. Um, but have you played Crypt of the Necrodancer? Um, I've only played the original one a little bit. I've played the Cadence of Hyrule one, um, like substantially. I didn't complete Cadence of Hyrule, but I got about halfway through, I think. It felt like it was halfway through. Yeah, no, there's just something about my brain where I can't process the beat of a song and the (laughs) attack moves or patterns of enemies. Um, well, okay. So the Crypt of the Necrodancer, um... Uh, Cadence of Hyrule one, which is the Legend of Zelda themed one for Switch. Um, I stopped playing it so that I could order a GameCube dance mat. <laughs> and then I started playing it with the GameCube dance mat. And after about 10 minutes, I was like, oh my God, I I, I cannot do this. This is aggressive. Like it is so <laughs> aggressive. <laughs> it's definitely meant for a controller like your feet uh, legs are not meant to do that <laughs> it's for thumbs only and so um you know even though it was a great idea um i think maybe i just put it off a little bit too long while i waited for the controller to come on ebay um and uh you can find that dance mat on facebook marketplace right now <laughs> <laughs> does it ship to the uk <laughs> um I don't know. Does anything get anywhere anymore? Yeah, I don't know. Especially not in the UK after Brexit. Yes. So yeah, like um, I'm I'm bad at it, but I'm enjoying it, and I think I'm going to persevere with it a bit longer. I might even pick up the Cadence of Hyrule version uh, come next payday. Yeah, because the uh, Cadence of Hyrule one is well, I guess it it shares uh, like that whole roguelike with 
progression thing that you liked a bit about um, about Hades. So um, in that, you know, there is a world Nestorian missions and four dungeons similar to Breath of the Wild, and you've got to kind of go through the world and conquer those, and you have a certain amount of persistence that carries life over life. Um, you get reincarnated. Um, I think it might actually be the only uh, Zelda thing with Link getting genuinely reincarnated in it. Um, hmm. Uh, they just kind of hand waved that away, but um, it yeah, it's really cool. Um, I yeah, I did play a little bit of Crypt of the Necrodancer, but I did that after I played a bit of Cadence of Hyrule. I was like, I like this a lot. I'm gonna come back and play it once I finish Cadence of Hyrule, and that hasn't happened yet. Um, but I reckon maybe we should put an episode on this. I know we're using our famous catchphrase. Maybe we should do an episode on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah the uh, like. I feel like the the rhythm game genre is kind of overlooked a little bit and it's sort of one of the genres where there there's like a lot of innovation going on in it at the moment. Yeah, that was um yeah, in the VR space I've recently had a bit of a play of uh, Beat Saber for the first time as well. And um Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um I I can see why people get right into it. Um I mean the, and this is terrible. The only detracting point for me with Beat Saber is, um, you know, I'm working in VR and, and using these headsets a lot. So I actually kind of want to step away from it a bit when I'm in my spare time. Yeah, which busman's I, holiday. Yeah. It's like I need to escape into a more tangible reality to escape the <laughs> woes of my VR existence. Yeah, spend some time in meat space. <laughs> That's it. With Tom, uh, yeah, we're, we're re- rehashing jokes, just like the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 games. Uh, the same jokes come around episode after episode. Yep, I mean, we can't escape it. Mm-hmm. Time is a flat circle. Uh, yeah. um, speaking of meat space, though, uh, yeah. the other thing that I've been playing recently is the Dungeons & Dragons starter set. Um, so my local board game store was looking for a DM, mm-hmm. and I was looking for new people to meet. I said, I'll do that. And I um, signed up for that, and we're using the... Basically, Wizards of the Coast has, like, an introduction set to Dungeons & Dragons that sort of has, like, a a boiled-down version of the rules, a introduction adventure, and some sort of pre-made character sheets for people to use. I believe I have Um, that, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I've I've sort of been playing Dungeons & Dragons for years, so I've never... uh, used this particular set before um but because i was playing with a whole bunch of people that had never played D before in their life um i thought this was a, a good way to introduce them and it is it's uh it's way more accessible than sort of buying all the poor rule books like the dungeon master's guide and player's handbooks and mm. all that crap um it doesn't sort of use battle mats uh which is which you don't really have to use in Dungeons and Dragons, but a lot of people like it because it helps sort of explain, you know, how far away you are from enemies and gives it a sort of more tactical uh, aspect to the game. Um, but for for eighteen quid, uh, it was a pretty good deal, and I, I'd recommend it for anyone that wants to get new people into D and D. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I've been meaning to give that a go. I mean, I'm. I'm very, very inexperienced with D and D, and basically got that so that I could gain the experience. And then uh, I recalled that I have to have other people to play it with, um, and patience. And they're both things I sorely lack. Yeah, well, I guess that's sort of the other aspect of it is because I play a regular D and D game every two weeks, and I've also been playing it for years. So the sort of boiled down version of the rules, I only sort of really needed there to sort of jolt my memory about particular aspects of the game. Whereas if you're coming into brand new, like that's a lot of responsibility for one person to dungeon master because you kind of need to know all the rules and that boiled down version, which is still like, I think it's probably like 30 pages long or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that other part too. Um, I think it's, it's just, yeah, getting people that are willing is not as hard as getting people that are like able to like make it a regular, a regularly scheduled thing. I mean, at the moment that should probably be easier. So maybe I should reach out to some people and, and start doing that again. Yeah. I find like online tools make it very easy to, um, create regular games. Uh, yeah, since lockdown over here, I've had 
basically two group or three groups um, that I play regularly and it's a lot more regular than it was when you actually have to get everyone in the same place at the same time at the same table. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's some pretty heavy commitment there. So you're, you're doing quite a lot of stuff. Um, no, that's cool. Um, yeah. Well, uh, for me, I've been playing uh, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, um, you know, keeping the Nintendo streak fairly strong at the moment. Um, it, it's, it's been really fun to go back to that and, um, and sort of, you know, see how various things have aged. It's interesting to me that like the controls have not aged particularly well. I remember being like enamored with the sword play back in the day. Yeah. So you're playing with the motion control version. Yeah, I've played a bit of both and um, I think I still prefer the motion controls, but a lot of that has to do with button mapping for the unmotion controls part. Um, right. And I don't imagine Nintendo lets you remap that. No. Um, no, they're, they're kind of the poster child for the buttons or what they say out of the box. Um, yeah. But yeah, and it's not to like really dump on the um the button mapping for the regular controls it was a hard task for them to do and um they had to sacrifice something and it's free camera movement that kind of hits the back seat a bit there um mm. like there is still that it's still there but you need to hold down a shoulder button and just throwing that in the mix of everything else makes it actually for me more complicated than piloting the motion controls um which work pretty well, but seem to need recentering like several times a minute. It becomes a maneuver that you just know how to do. It's like a you attack and then recenter kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which pulls you right out of the experience in a lot of ways because you can't really do that without thinking at the same time. Like, why doesn't the game know which way down is? Like, it's got the controller has an accelerometer. And accelerometers always point towards the middle of the Earth, the source of the gravity. Yeah. Well, well not the source of the gravity, but the the, the way it's heading. <laughs> yeah, the hollow Earth. Yeah. Uh, hang on. I think I think we were on the same page up until about three quarters of the way through that statement, and then you said something about you know well, never mind. Moving on. Either way, I would love to do an episode on Scarlet Sword as well. Um. So. You know, that, that might be coming up in Season 2. All right, yeah, no, I'll, I'll buy Skyward Sword. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, cool. Dungeon design, awesome. Can't wait to talk about it. Um, so I guess that about wraps it up for what are we playing segment of the show. Yeah. Um, Speaking of dungeons, yeah. Uh, shall we talk about Mario Golf? Yeah, Mario Golf is a dungeon crawler in which there are very few dungeons and not a lot of crawling. Um, Mario Golf. Let's 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 talk Mario Golf. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad game that needs to improve. So how can I fix these game reviews? All right, this week we're playing Mario Golf. So um, yeah, this was um, this was pretty fun. Um, I wasn't really expecting. Um, I mean, I was expecting some cool stuff, and I wasn't really expecting much from the golf game itself. Uh, yeah, um, it was unsurprising, but kind of fun. See, I, I don't know if I agree. Ooh. Um, I, yeah, I, I think I had fun with it for the first couple of hours, but, um, yeah, I, I got sick of it. Right. Yeah. Well, I've only really played a couple of hours, so maybe that's in store for me too. Yeah. Um, did you get all the way through adventure mode? No, I got to about, uh, I think it was the second last medal. Um, so three quarters of the way, um, through adventure mode. Um, there were, yeah, there were a few times there where it was maybe a bit frustrating, maybe felt a bit long winded. It's quite a few times where it's just kind of puts you on, you know, a fairly long golf game and you're like, Oh, I, I wasn't really sure that I was in for this long of a play. And then, yeah, you, I don't know. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Adventure mode's not awesome. Yeah. No, I'd go as far as to say that it sucked <laughs> so yeah no i i did finish adventure mode and it um the sort of end of it sort of snuck up on me uh pretty quickly um i was playing on a train during a long trip mm-hmm. and you know i thought i'd just play a few hours to sort of keep me entertained and it just sort of ended uh very suddenly and it uh it's a weird thing where it's sort of adventure mode starts off sort of feeling like it's almost like a tutorial 
introducing you to all the different match types in the game. And then there's sort of like a turning point where there's a couple of boss battles that come out of nowhere. And there's, I started to think, oh, is this, this what adventure mode really is? But then after those few boss battles, like that was it. That was the end of it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, I, I noticed like there's no real sort of options or branching paths. It's basically just go do the thing. And then there's an arrow that points you to the thing. You talk to Toad, you walk up to a traffic light thing, it lets you through a gate, and then you play somewhere between three and 18 holes of golf. And that well, part there... Some, sometimes it doesn't open, and then you have to go back and oh, talk yes. to Toad again. Yeah. And then he says, you have to go to sleep. And then you go to sleep, <laughs> and then you wake up. And then you talk to Toad again, and then he opens the gate for you. Yeah, yeah. Also, I, I don't know why. <laughs> Everyone knows you can only play one game of golf per day, whether it's one of the three, six, nine, or 18 um, whole courses. And that, for me, was probably like one of the bigger pain points early on is you kind of get this false sense that, you know, because the first couple of three rounds long, that that's kind of what you're in for. And I don't know, like 18 holes worth of golf, that's like if you're on a par three thing, then, you know, you, you're getting the better part of 60, what is it, 54, um, you know, wax around the bloody wackety-do. Yeah, well, I I play quite a few golf games. Um, the sort of last one that I really got into before this one was Everybody's Golf that I was playing on the PS Vita. Okay. So it was kind of a similar experience, but because um, that was entirely a turn-based golf games, like they sort of traditionally are. I found it like a very easy game that I could like do a few holes. If I was getting bored, I could put it down and then pick it up and, you know, not a whole lot of change. But with the Mario Super Rush one, because there's that, you know, uh, real time running around aspect to it, it's a lot harder to sort of drop in and out of a 18 hole course. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, it is a lot harder. And while it's quite novel, and you know we did end up playing a game against each other so we'll we'll talk about that in a moment about the multiplayer but let's get into the racing golf like when you're playing it in the story mode it does get to a point or it feels to me like there's a couple of uh, like versions of the racing golf some of them are you know if you win the race you win the race some of them are race plus par so if you get there at the end first then um you know you have um the advantage as long as you're the first and the lowest. Yeah, the like I mean, so one of the problems with that is the different golf modes don't really change the way that you play. Yes. You still want to get the ball in the hole as quickly as possible in as few strokes as possible. Yeah. And the sort of details of those rules, like, you know, I wasn't like trying to knock over other players or um, there wasn't any change in strategy that I made because of it. Yeah, I, I feel like they built it like it was Mario Kart, but for golf. And it's definitely nowhere near that exciting. Yeah. And again, in adventure mode, because um, in adventure mode, you're sort of gaining levels and investing those levels in uh, different attributes for your me golfer. Um, I found that I ended up investing mostly in stamina and speed. Um, mm-hmm. And I. I don't think I really sunk any points into control or spin by the end of the adventure, just because, you know, they were so so much less valuable than those other attributes were. Actually, yeah, uh, what about shot distance? I, I put quite a bit into shot distance, because, yeah. again, there's sort of like a, a tangible benefit to it, but, yeah. like, your base level of control, like, so long as you don't fuck up your shot too badly, you can't really sort of veer too far off course and... You know, once you're on the green, like, your putting really just comes down to your own individual skill as opposed to any, yeah, points you've invested in your character. Okay, um, do you know that for sure? Because I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I was I was putting balls in very easily at a level one yeah. control. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I... Yeah, and you would know you've played a lot more um, of these kinds of golf games than I have, and I'm not particularly good at putting, um, which means this might be realistic. Uh, The problem that I sort of had 
with uh with the drive distance though is when we went and we played a multiplayer game and i brought my i was the only one at that stage who'd played the adventure mode and i brought my character along to play against all of you guys and every single nintendo character could outdrive me by 20 percent yeah see i think by the end of adventure mode because i had stunk uh sunk so many points into drive distance i think it would have been the other way around no, no, it, Which, I'm pretty sure you approach a regular driving length. Because, yeah, I was already heavily invested in drive, and I was like, I'm going to school you guys with my amazing drive distance. And then Mario steps up to the plate. Uh, real Mario, not my Mario, uh, because yeah. I was playing as a me that I created to look like Mario so that the protagonist could be Mario in Mario Golf. That's right, the protagonist in the story mode of Mario Golf is not Mario. So I had to make a me that was Mario. Anyway, I'm getting tangential on this, but regular old fucking uh, traditional Mario, non-me, hasn't been through a campaign, steps up to the plate and just drives so much further. And I'm like, wow, that that was a really good drive. I'm going to try and wind up and hit one that's that far with my character. And I got it on the maximum power, like I was did a perfect swing with the best club there is and it's like maybe 90% of the distance I'm like oh so you need to be full level in order to be Mario level worth of driving like playing as an avatar or me sorry is not useful at all yeah well the the other thing about that sort of points investment thing is in sort of the the missions in um adventure mode you can fail them, but you still get experience points for them. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if, like, the optimal way to play adventure mode is to just fail a whole bunch until you can, like, max out every single stat that you have. And as far as I can tell, the uh, drive distance doesn't actually have a maximum. That just seems to tick up and up. Do you think so? Um, well, I mean, all the other stats sort of have, like, yeah, the- a bar yeah. that gets filled, whereas um, the max drive distance is just a number. Maybe you're right. Oh, but maybe it's diminishing. Yeah, like it might have a limit, but I wonder if you could just keep, you know, uh, taking a dive on levels until you had the ultimate me that you can then play online with. (laughs) That would be pretty punishing too, though. I mean... Yeah. uh, Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to get into a part of the adventure mode, uh, the cross-country part. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) I think your tone there kind of said it all there there is um it it kind of similarly has the same um well the first time you play it you don't have to do any of the traversal um subsequent times you have to do the traversal in cross country as well um and you have to hit the ball up cliffs like pretty tall cliffs yeah so what did you think about that um well my kind of feeling about not even just in cross country mode but even just the traversal and like the race modes was it's not especially fun. Yeah. And if that's going to be so much of the game, then it should be more fun than it is. Mm. Like, in a, you know, regular Mario, like Mario Odyssey or something, like, just running around and that's fun. Like, you've got your double and triple jumps. You've got things you can do with your hat. Um, you know, movement in itself is interesting. Whereas in this, like, you can do, like, a little bunny hop to get out of sand if you get stuck in it but other than that it's you've got regular running you've got like a um, stamina meter that you're trying to um, balance and then you've got like your boost dash um, maneuver yeah the stamina Um, meter has big big time skyward sword vibes in that you only ever realize that it's there when it's too short and it doesn't really seem to do much for you otherwise like i get it they, they want to limit the amount of running but yeah yeah but there's there's sort of like no advantage to like moderating your stamina like you're just going to hold down the sprint button until it runs out and then you have to wait a little bit for it to refill <laughs> yeah. and there's there's like items throughout the the hard items around the course that if you run through you get um your stamina replenished a certain amount but you know, because there's only a few of them down a straight fairway. Whoever's in front is going to be picking them up, and there's there's not a whole lot you can do about it. There's a there's no sort of tactical element to it, which is frustrating. Yeah, 
I, then uh, going back to the hitting hitting it up cliffs in the cross country thing, um, I've, I've got here written in my notes that apparently I failed the f- most basic one with the hitting it up a cliff thing six times before I finally figured out how to do that. Now I'm not a golfer, and maybe I shouldn't uh, have gone into this golf game expecting no- to know what to do. But you would think in an, an adventure mode that telling me to pick like this certain type of chipping wedge uh, for getting up a cliff and then giving me like a few trial runs at it. Like for me, that just seems like it's the thing to do. Whereas in the cross country mode, it not only expects you to do it for the first time, but it saves it till last. So now you're yeah. failing something that you've had a 10 minute on ramp towards. Yeah, that feels like they did it the wrong way around where that chipping wedge should have come in much, much earlier in the game. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, like I guess they have those tornado things you can shoot uh, your balls into, but <laughs> it's and again that sort of that's like the thing that could have been interesting in traversal, but even that was kind of lackluster. Yeah. Like what I what I kind of wished is if the um, cross country courses were less traditional golf courses and more like a you know full guys style obstacle course. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it yeah, it reminds me of um, the battle mode for Mario Kart 8 when it was on the Wii U and it was just quartered off parts of the racetrack because they were just reusing the asset. Um, yeah. And, I mean, the mechanics were all kind of there, but it was just like, hey, we're just going to put you on the same tracks and they're not at all designed for the purpose we're using them for. It's just that reuse it and just make it so that the holes are out of order. Am I going to call it cross country? It was cheap to make. Somebody made it in a week or something. Yeah. I mean, not somebody made it in a week. I, I really should. Like, I don't expect that. Um, I'm being facetious. But yeah, it, it didn't seem like it had had the necessary amount of time and polish and consideration. It felt like it was, you know, maybe a value add that they kind of uh, either come up with at the last minute or or didn't really fully fledge out. Yeah, it feels like something they worked out they could do while they were, you know, testing another mode yeah. and then, you know, expanded that out into its own mode rather than uh, the sort of function preceding the form. <laughs> Actually, I'm just reading here in my notes... Apparently on the nine hole, it took me five goes. And I've got written here that the feeling of finally getting the nine hole cross country was a revolting relief. So maybe I didn't enjoy this as much as I said up the top of this segment. (laughs) Yeah. And like when we sort of played a couple of weeks ago, like I had a really good time doing that. But I think it's because I was playing a game with my friends more than... The, the game itself was especially engaging. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was good. And and you know, there is like for I think for that sort of game style too, like just you know, multiplayer Nintendo games, it's it's pretty decent at that, I think, from what I could tell. I only had that one session. I know you had a couple of subsequent ones. Yeah, the like it's sort of golf game fundamentals are pretty good. Like the mm-hmm. I think playing with the motion control actually makes it more fun because it, I think it's a bit too easy with the non-motion controls. Mm. Um, but even those are like, you know, fairly standard. It's not sort of revolutionary uh, with the sort of power bar style. Or you pick a club, you pick a power bar mode, and then you try and uh, hit it on the, the second charge up. Um, yeah, it was very unsurprising. Um, yeah, but also very... Uh, forgiving in that uh power bar as well i found where even if you did sort of whiff it you didn't hit it too far off course um yeah it it didn't seem like there was a lot of challenge in that whole you know because that whole golf swing thing is kind of its own mini game as well like it's always about timing which i've found interesting because you know I, i think very little of an actual golf swing is about timing like i mean it's very bread and butter golf game like golf games have been doing this for decades now so yeah but why why have golf games been doing a timing mini game in order to launch the ball like why is that mechanic the prevailing one i think it's to try and introduce an element of human error because yeah um 
Otherwise, if you sort of had perfect control every time, like a golf game would just be far too easy. All right, all right. Um, let me let me pitch this at you. What if instead of that, what they did was have you swing your thumbstick, your right thumbstick down and then back up. And then how straight the line was on the vertical axis is your swing. Or maybe you have to spin it around and you've got to spin it around, you know, in an anti-clockwise direction and then, you know, into the clockwise direction or something like that. And then based on how close you get that to where it was meant to be, like, where is... Like, you know, the power could be based on your actual swing of a thumbstick or the accuracy could be based on your actual, you know, turning of a thumbstick. There is things on your controller that are very similar to a swing. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And that's why I said the, the motion, yeah. the, the motion controls felt, you know, good because, you know, it's you're getting closer to aping an actual golf swing. Um, the, the thumbstick, like, I mean, that's an interesting idea. I've never seen it done before. I wonder, like, if there's just sort of something satisfying about a button and sort of mapping a button to, like, the moment of impact with a golf. It's like you've got Mm. the charging up, which is kind of your backswing, and then you've got the moment you press a button and you get that sound of a golf ball being hit if there's just something in that, you know, that moment of gameplay that is more satisfying than or creates a closer connection uh, to actually connecting with the ball than toggling a, a thumbstick would. Yeah. And I guess the timing thing is kind of like you do have to pick the power portion of that too. It does seem weird to me that it's always kind of like this weird you getting power and accuracy. Maybe it's, yeah, out of button presses, timing button presses. But yeah, like there's um there are golf games which don't worry about that and they're all like miniature golf games so games like uh oh what was that one um golf with your friends golf with your friends uh ready set golf um there's a couple of them what the golf but the yeah but then the the game becomes about you know angles and obstacles um and you know timing for you know like your windmills and type things rather than trying to introduce human error or trying to simulate human error Mm. yeah yeah, it's which I mean you could do if you did the uh, more sort of uh, full guys obstacle course type courses because at the moment like like I said it's kind of hard to screw up a shot too badly um, like it the courses sort of become more perilous in the later courses where there's sort of more water hazards and cliffs for you to fall off and things like that but you know the first three or four courses like. Mm. They're all pretty pretty straight, and even if you don't land on the fairway, you land in the rough, and that doesn't really slow you down too much. But, you know, if you're trying to land balls on, like, very narrow stretches of um, the course or, you know, even on, like, moving platforms or something like that, then I think you could have a, a more interesting game. And then you also have the added benefit of, like, having to navigate those courses to get to your ball as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think maybe, yeah, maybe I should give the motion controls a go as it sounds like I'm just trying to do that with the thumbsticks. I'd be very surprised if the motion controls have like a decent level of accuracy. I guess that was, it seemed like it was pretty good on earlier golf games as well. I don't know. Yeah. Like it's, it's been a while since I played Wii Golf, um, but it feels very similar to that. I played the, um, the redone one club sports Wii golf the wii u version of that and the accuracy on that was meant to have been much better and it it did seem good but like i said i'm not really a golfer so yeah but i guess it, like you know it's it's not really like swinging a a golf club but it introduces a game mechanic where it's your your body's movement is the mechanic yeah. as opposed to i've fucked up this timing mini game yeah and i mean the accelerometer stuff will or gyro and accelerometer stuff it might not get like because gyros are you know very bad at bearing so it's not going to be accurate in that way but maybe it can read steadiness of the shot and that's you know a useful thing to be able to do as a golfer and you know the swing speed is there so there's a lot more of the same ingredients like stability and speed which just feel like better drivers um 
no pun intended, but we definitely got there um, for the yeah. actual um, for the actual mechanic, right? Like the they're better inputs. Yeah, because there's when you're lining up a shot, there's where you want the ball to be, and then there's where it ends up. And in the non-motion control version, that's decided by how badly you mistime something. Yeah. Whereas with the motion control one, it feels like I wanted to hit the ball there, but it ended up somewhere else. And that's because when I swung, I swung wrong. Yes. Which I think is a, yeah. That is a, okay, I've played golf a little bit, and that is, to me, an inherently golf feeling. Yeah. That, oh, shit, it went that way. (laughs) Now, I understand there's probably people that are good enough to not have that feeling uh, to some extent, but I'm not one of them. Yeah, no, like, I, mean, I played a bit of golf. Like, I'm not good at golf, but when I know the feeling of hitting a good shot yeah. and going, I I did the thing I tried to do. Yeah. That feels good. There's all the reverse feeling of there's the thing I tried to do and I completely whiffed it. But, yeah, it, it feels it feels fairer. Yeah. Um, In a motion control thing, it's like, uh, I tried to do this thing and it ended up over there and that's my fault as opposed to I tried to hit the A button at the right time, and because I did that, it's now so far to the left, and I don't really understand why it went that way as opposed to somewhere else. You know, I'm just now considering um, maybe this is a really weird high horse for me to be on with the timing thing. I mean, yeah, I've played a whole bunch of basketball games that I didn't didn't need to be good at basketball in order to do, and all the shots are based on timing, and... Yeah, you know what? I think this might not be a uh, thing to be too worried about. Um, definitely, I can't dribble uh, for shit. And I mean, I can't really play FIFA that well either. But it sure as shit, the soccer player, football player that I've got in the game is playing soccer better than I can. Football, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're in the UK, yeah. so I have to translate for you. I, I understand. It's the Queen's English, football. No, I refuse to call it football. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> great. So you're one of those belligerent Aussie expats then. Yeah, I'm just refusing to integrate full stop. <laughs> it's such a wide margin between the cultures too. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be cold and dead in the ground before I call my doona a duvet. Oh, really? Yeah, no, the, yeah. I think you're right. It's just wrong. Yeah, I've come around to your way of thinking there. Um, yeah, so on the multiplayer game, um, uh, yeah, uh, that was fine um apart from how underpowered my story character appeared to be and i think at that stage i had played three quarters of the way through so i was at a three-quarter character i understand the nintendo characters need to be fully cooked by the time you go and take them to a game and that almost everybody could be expected to play a story i just didn't expect to be punished for playing adventure mode yeah no that's that's kind of a I don't know how much they thought about it. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't... Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like it would be a thing that would come up during onboarding, though. Somebody would be like, yeah, I'm going to play some adventure mode and get used to it. And then, you know what, I'm going to play against some friends now that I've done the tutorial because you feel like it's a tutorial when you go in. And then you go, oh, yeah, well, I want to use my character that I created in story mode. And then, like, that just feels to me like it should come up. Um yeah. It's like if you if you're yeah, the, like the the whole yeah adventure mode like it just kind of seemed tacked on to me. Mm. Um, like even down to sort of the world of adventure mode, um, like you're sort of moving from basically clubhouse area to clubhouse area, and each of those is sort of attached to a a course, and all of those just sort of felt so so lifeless. Um, even though they've like filled them with the same models of a toads and poopers and goombas um yeah it just felt uh felt like an afterthought to me yes all right well um i think that's everything i wanted to say about mario golf what about you um the only other thing we haven't really touched on is like the special power shots that each character has oh yeah yeah what do you think about those um i it was a bit of a fizzle for me honestly um yeah i didn't really see the worth in it yeah and um I don't think each power was made equal either. Um, like oh, the ones where... Yeah, hang on. It sort of like explodes on impact. Um, that seems much more useful than uh, the one that sort of just knocks things out of the way. Yes, and I'm remembering now that the um, 
the me power is the worst of them all as well once again so that happened during the adventure no uh, during the multiplayer thing as well i would go to use my power up and it would just be like utterly crap compared to you know bowser or something like that would just explode me and then i'd be like why why am i using a custom character at all here like uh yeah yeah balancing problems hey oof yeah and um I think you could only use it like once every three holes or something like that, which yeah, I guess that's to stop it from becoming too overpowered, but it also feels like if you're going to create this sort of like fantastical version of golf where you have powers, like let, let people use them. Yeah, if it were to be what, um, you know, what uh, Mario Kart is to car racing, then it would be you know an insane caricature of golf where you're running around all the time and you know you're barging through each other and you've got these power-up shots that you get yeah and as soon as you're behind you your power shots go faster which maybe happens but i don't know because it's so damn slow that it doesn't really i don't think it does okay i think it just your your bar increases by an arbitrary amount every time you finish a hole right that doesn't really change based on how well you did or how poorly you're doing or anything that happened during the actual course all right so um we're going to be doing a new thing uh from now on where we kind of go is this good game design or is it bad game design um and you know what i came in hot i thought you know this was actually kind of fun um but i think maybe uh i don't know I won you over. <laughs> yeah well <laughs> apparently my own notes have won me over too um (laughs) i'm starting to think that maybe the nintendo effect is real and that you know uh, i've been suckered into believing that this cute and colorful game was uh not the punishing uh, let's not call it a mess but uh, i'm not going to call this good game design i'm going to have to land on bad game design i think yeah like i think they started off with solid golf game fundamentals and then like all the sort of stuff they built on top of it like the you know speed uh golf and the powers and things they're all the parts that were underbaked yeah i I only played a little bit of uh that golf story uh game that was early on the um switch but i liked what they were doing with adventure mode a lot more and i felt like i wanted that a bit more out of this and like i know i've got a lot of things on the backlog at the moment but i have a strong want to go back to that after playing mario golf and play it to the end yeah well i mean that's kind of the thing the game design um things i think are best to sort of innovate on are the established ones so you know the mechanics of a golf game are very well established you've sort of got the the timing mini game you're sort of picking your your clubs and you're you're trying to use physics to navigate through obstacles Mm. and i think there's so many interesting things you can do with just that sort of bread and butter Mm. um or that they got the core right they got they just got all the innovation wrong yeah and i mean golf's not the most prolific genre but um you know if you had a you know a first person shooter for example come up and it's it didn't nail the mouse look then you know it doesn't really get points for doing that. Like whether that's for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, we do kind of expect when that bar is set that everyone kind of in the genre has to come and meet it. So, you know, I'll I'll give them points for meeting the bar, but yeah, there's nothing really um, surprising or, or new in the fundamentals there either. No. Um, So yeah, you've got to nominate it as either a good game design or a bad game design. I'll say bad game design. Cool. Um, yeah, all right, so there we go, Mario Golf, bad game design, two for two. Better luck next time. Yeah, maybe next time it'll be a hole in in the ball. (laughs) Yep, classic, classic golfing (laughs) phrase, a hole in the ball. Flip him the birdie. Um, all right, cool. And now it's the time you've been waiting for all season. Yes, that's right, it's been a season this whole time. It's the what was the best game design of the season. What was the best game design of the season? Tell me what was the best game design of the season. Tell me now. Out of all of the games that we've looked at or had a play of, what was the winner? Uh, mostly we're going to look at the ones that we focused uh, upon, though. 
Um, so, Tom, did you want to go first? What is your game design of season one game design hacks? Who wins the well, thing? I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anyone that's been following us, but it's going to be Hades. Yep. Um, that's sort of the, the game that sort of really impressed me the most in a recent memory. Uh, well done, Hades! Yay! Yay! This is Hades' first win for the Game Design Hacks Awards. This, this is... <laughs> I'll put award music <laughs> in or something. Yeah, well, well done, Hades. Right. Uh, yeah, I think the uh, just it, the way that it mixed narrative with roguelike gameplay um, was really novel. Uh, the gameplay itself was really well done. The sort of combat was just so smooth and well-refined. Um, it was a joy, and even just raving about it now makes me want to pick it up and do another run right maybe i owe it a um second playthrough i'm not sure i i gave that a fair go and i just won the uh gdc um award did it uh i don't know but if it did it deserved it yeah yeah cool uh what did you have dale um i had fez um which you know uh and the winner of my award is fez This is Fez's second win for the Game Design Hacks Awards. Congratulations, Phil. Yeah. Phil Fish, come and grab your award. Phil, on behalf of Phil Fish, no one will be accepting the award tonight. Um, look, uh, the the reasons why Fez got it for me um, is, you know, that there are... Um, you know, we did look at a lot of different things, but for me, it's uh, going back to that. It's the obvious thing. It's the spinning stuff around dimensions and just how far they lean into it, like how centrally it plays into the story, the narrative, the mechanics. Like absolutely everything is kind of based around that one mechanic. And it was just, it's a joy to see when, you know, uh, the one thing that the game kind of brings to the table is in everything it does. Yeah, it's kind of the way they design Mario games where there'll be sort of one mechanic or one gimmick that they try and do absolutely everything they can possibly do with it. And I think that's a really clever way of doing design. Yeah, yeah, just leaning on the one thing over and over. Like how they imbued Cappy and Mario Odyssey to use uh, that as an example again with both the transformation capture ability and also the um you know hat jumping and having a bunch of acrobatics built on it yep. too um yeah which is like a more advanced version of what they did with the loomers in galaxy and that sort of thing um you know just to bring it back to nintendo for a change um <laughs> but yeah uh the other contributing factors i guess is you know the atmosphere and the music for fez is great and it really leans into that whole weird and mysterious world that you can now explore thanks to your extra dimensional capability and um i think just it's a lone wolf like there's nothing else that's really uh you know really in its area and i know we said at the time when we were looking through this game it's surprising that nobody really tried to ape this like crazy yeah yeah and like even after 10 years it still holds up really strongly in all those aspects mm, yeah and i mean you know when other indie darlings come up like you take a look at you know super meat boy from around about the same time and it's probably been like one of the most ape versions of that like that what it did for long jumping changing direction midair all kinds of stuff in yeah. platformers that's now just become the de facto and everybody rips off super yeah. meat boy yeah those fast levels with quick deaths and quick restarts yeah, yeah whereas um yeah, not so much for um, for Fez. Um, you know, maybe there were a few things that got a little bit more atmospheric. Um, maybe that that aesthetic was built in a little bit more. But I just feel like maybe that was always kind of you know the indie game maker's tool. Like atmosphere is cheap. Yeah, yeah, and like especially that sort of nostalgia laden uh, style where you know mm. people are inspired by the games that they grew up playing. And I think you're even seeing it a little bit now. Um, I notice on like itch.io, you get a lot of like PlayStation One inspired horror games and shooters these days. Um, I was yeah, yeah, I was totally joking that that aesthetic would would you know be a feature at some point. <laughs> and then not only did that start happening, but I actually enjoy it. 
Like I think we talked about yeah. a short hike a couple of weeks ago. Um, and yeah, man, like the way they leaned into that DS aesthetic, it just it's so charming. Like yeah, I, I can't hate that. Yeah, I'm still waiting for the uh, Xbox uh, original Xbox <laughs> inspired games to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing too, because like I've done a few prototypes with the, you know, let's call it the thirty-two slash sixty-four bit sort of three D generation. We'll call it the PlayStation Nintendo sixty-four generation of stuff, and they actually have fairly distinct looks. Like the PlayStation had much higher resolution textures, but no filtering and you know some a fine uh, rendering problems. And then the Nintendo 64 had way better rendering technology with like, you know, anti-stropic filtering and it had anti-aliasing. No, actually, sorry, I think think it was trilinear filtering and anti-aliasing. And the two aesthetics are not at all alike, but I guess the poly counts kind of being in the same vicinity gives them that. And then when you go to pick that as a flavor you tend to pick a worst of both worlds kind of scenario where you go, I'm going to have the low quality textures of the Nintendo 64, but no (laughs) anti-aliasing. Yeah. (laughs) Or even worse, I'm going to have anti-aliasing, but I'm going to make it look like it doesn't with like a post-processing effect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Actually that's, that's really fun. Um, Yeah. Or under, under scaled resolutions. That's another one. That's a big feature of those. Yeah. These like, full screen 640 by 480 games oh no they're not they're like 640 by 360 because they're still keeping to the 169 aspect ratio as closely yeah. as they can um uh, yeah i like that too um uh or maybe it was 640 by 420 i can't remember but yeah that that was that was cool um yeah cool so now that we've both decided a best game of the season each we don't get to have one each that's right I'm dropping it on you. We have to figure out which is better out of Fez and Hades. Which one gets to win? Which one gets to take away the crown? Um, and, you know, I'm just going to start here. Uh, Fez was first. Fez was first. Yeah. Um, Hades actually came out during season one. Okay. So that's my <laughs> argument for, for it happening. Yeah, but we weren't doing season one back when Fez came out. <laughs> that's a good yeah. point. Um, so really, all games up until now are open season. Yeah, look, I'm I'm happy to yield for to Fez. Oh no! Um, like I think now you're softballing. You're going too easy. Well, you know this this is a game design podcast, and I think Hades is like the most polished version of an existing design mechanics that I really quite like. Whereas I think Fez actually introduced something new, and I have a feeling people. Like, as much as people love Hades, I think people are probably going to be talking about Fez for long. Like, I mean, I don't know if in 10 years' time there'll be a Hades re-release that, you know, everyone clamors to to replay. Yeah. Then again, it did very clearly, very clearly dominate in a lot of categories. And for a small studio game, that's pretty, uh, pretty unreal. But I think, yeah, maybe you're right. There are a few things there, like, you know, it is an exercise in combining things that exist and polishing the hell out of them from what i can tell and that does seem like you know it something could come along and combine extra things or be inspired by it or and be a little bit more polished and maybe it won't be the most remembered thing whereas fez has kind of sat distinct but also it's got time on its side like you said it's a bit unfair to bring back you know uh one of the most prominent and interesting indie games of the last 10 years uh, just to compete against this year's game. Um, It's had the benefit of hindsight. It's had the benefit of having its point in culture propagated. And it also had the benefit of being on the market at the same time as six other indie games that year because that's what the flow was like back then. (laughs) Yep, yep. That all got into their own movie. (laughs) All six are in the movie. (laughs) Come on, boys, we're getting in an indie movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they say that at the end of indie game the movie yeah they say, and that is all of the indie games you've watched the movie <laughs> join us next year for another six games 
<laughs> Wait, but those took five years each. No. So that implies like a five-fold uh, increase in the number of games. Oh, no, concurrent development. Yeah, it's not the same six guys. Yeah. Uh, no, I think as soon as that movie came out, there were about a million indie games. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that you and I were both on that train. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you can do it yourself and you become a billionaire and you drive Ferraris just like Ed McMillan and Tommy Rafines? And, yeah. yeah. And you have like a, a really easy time doing it as yeah. well. And then making it like making it worse. Like Binding of Isaac came out three months later proving that, you know, it wasn't just a fluke for Edmund. And yeah. you're like... Uh, oh, this goddamn Action Script 2 game. Yeah. After we'd been bothered to like skill up with Action Script 3 not knowing how yeah. short-lived that would be. Um, but yeah, no, that's 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 that. Okay, so um, look, I, I don't think anyone saw Fez getting it. Um, uh, yeah, it's been uh, been an interesting uh, development, I guess. Yeah, I guess the other thing about 80s is, you know, Supergiant clearly has like a style of game that they're making, so I'm hoping they make many more games in the future that get better and better, whereas I've, I think we might have heard the last of... Fish. <laughs> yeah and i think it's safe to say that too because i mean supergiant have been getting better and better like there's a clear like line of improvement through the games and i'm not to say like that bastion uh was a slouch or anything and i mean bastion was no, kind like, of kicking I mean, that, around. that blew people away when it came out yeah yeah it was kind of kicking around at the same time as fez or maybe shortly afterwards as well um but yeah like there's is transistor one of theirs is that yeah yeah um yeah, and that was that was getting like some pretty decent attention too. Um, so Hades, this year, Transistor, what year was that? Uh, don't remember. I think they had another game in between those. Really? It's a Pyre. Oh right. Yeah, it was like a, a sports fantasy sports game. Okay, yeah, yeah, and Transistor was 2014. So yeah, they have had plenty of time. Um, I guess. Yeah, for some reason I had it in my head that that was a more recent game than that but there you go yeah cool all right well i guess that's it for everything this week in game design hack yes indeedy 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 so i guess uh this has been the end of season one it's been great having you listening um we are now on youtube uh so you can check us out there and also if you want to send us anything you can send to game design hacks at gmail.com Please send us stuff. Yeah, send us a thing. We'll we'll bring it up on a an, on a season two episode. In yeah. season two, I'll have to we we'll have to start saying press like and subscribe at the end of episodes. Oh no! Look, the YouTube thing is very much a um a sort of area for maybe comment collection. I don't know. I I don't even know why we're doing it. Let's uh, apparently <laughs> you do it. I don't know. It, yeah, and the metrics are uh, currently terrible because we haven't told anyone about it. Um. And you know, Anchor yeah. is um, is definitely where we're getting most of our lessons at the moment um, through Spotify and iTunes. So yeah, this is very much backyard football. Wait, peek behind the f- curtain, peek behind the football. Yeah, peek through the kimono. Oh. <laughs> and with that, I've been Dale, and I've been Tom. And say your catchphrase. Uh, it's a game, yo. It's a game, yo, Mario. Alright, see you next season, guys. Bye. Bye.